Today's scripture reading is from the book of Genesis, um, all of chapter one and the first three verses of chapter two. Um, if you notice in your bulletin, you don't have the whole thing. Um, so, but I will be reading the whole thing. And so if you wanna follow along, you can read, follow along in your Bible or um, I don't know if it'll all be up there or not, but um, yeah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in, into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called a dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, in which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Chris, for reading that very long passage. Uh, Let us go to the Lord in prayer as we come to his word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you give us these beautiful words to reflect on, to, Lord, consume. We pray, O God, we know that it is only by your presence that we are able to understand these words and believe these words. Left to our own powers, we would find this text foolish and unbelievable. But by your spirit, we are made aware of its truth. And so we pray, Lord, for your spirit to be among us And for you to open up our hearts so that we may believe. And that the truth would prevail and transform our souls so that we may worship you. We thank you, O God, for all that you do and that you continue to do. Be with us as we hear your words and as we give glory into your name. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the beginning of our new summer series Uh, for the two months, well, from June, July, and August, we will be going over Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And the reasons why Pastor David and I thought that this would be a good idea is because there's nothing controversial going on these days. So we thought, let's add some spice into these people's lives. Well, Really, basically, we wanted to go over the basics. Uh, We know that Genesis is um, a very contentious book. Um, A lot of people have many, many debates over it. People are debating, well, how can you believe Christianity if you believe God created the world? What about the Big Bang Theory? So there's, at one hand, the world versus the Christians. How was the world formed? But even within that, there are internal Christian debates. How old is the earth? Do we have an old earth or do we have a young earth? Did God literally create the world in seven days or is it seven time periods? And while all these debates are good and should be had because we understand what is at stake, Pastor David and I are, try, are mainly going to try to focus on the primary purpose of the text. And the primary purpose of the text conveys to us something deeper than those subjects. Now, I am not saying those topics are not important. We should have those debates. Those debates should be going on, and we need to talk about them. But we will not have time to address all those contentious points. Pastor David and I will do our best to address um, 
the best of our ability, but we will be made available. So if you disagree with anything or if you have questions about certain things, feel free to ask and we will try to answer to the best of our abilities. But Pastor David and I want to focus on the primary purpose of the text. And so the question is, what is the primary purpose of Genesis 1? Why is Genesis 1 written? And really what we're asking is, what, what is the primary purpose of the Bible? Because Genesis 1 is really the prologue, the introduction of what we are about to encounter in all of Scripture. Genesis 1 is a summary of what we need to expect and of what is going on. So the real question we're asking today is, what do we expect to read in Scripture? When you are given the Bible, what do you expect to read? And if you look on your programs, I've written for you Westminster Shorter Catechism number 3. What do the Scriptures principally teach? The Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Essentially, that is Genesis 1. When we come to Genesis 1, what we are to ask is what, do, what are we to believe concerning God and what duty does God require, not just of human beings in this chapter, but all of creation. Here in Genesis 1, God is at the forefront. Creation is at the forefront. And their interaction is what we are most interested in. This is not primarily a text to tell us how old the earth is. It is not a text to thwart the, the ideas of science. That is not the main purpose of Genesis 1. Genesis 1, first and foremost, is to explain to us who God is and what creation's relationship is to God. So chapter really 1 sets, really sets the whole stage of the Bible. And it begins to answer these fundamental questions. So the question, who is God? And I'm going to answer these in three points. Now, naturally, there are more than three points in this passage. There's about 21 or 22 points that I could go over, but no one is interested in a 22-point sermon. So I'm, do, I'm, I'm singling it down to three, and of course, there's many more points there. But first, what we learn about God is this. We learn that he is the alpha author. Second, we learn that he is the speaking spirit. And third, that he is the purposed purpose. So again, alpha author, speaking spirit, and purposed person. So as we approach Genesis chapter 1, we read in the beginning. This is probably the most bold and audacious declarative sentence in all of literature. It claims to know what happened in the beginning. This is not the beginning of a story or of a great novel. It's in the beginning of time. That there is a def definite moment when time began and the Bible is claiming here is what happened. And what do we learn in this first clause? That God was there in the beginning. Not only was he there, he was before the beginning. He came he was not created, he was always there, and he was there before time. I, I don't even have the words to explain that one clause, but only that God was there in the beginning. And what is he doing there? Well, it says God created the heavens and the earth. 
Here we see in this one short verse that God was in the beginning. He's the Alpha. And then he's a, he is also the author of time and space. God created the heavens and the earth. And the Hebrew word here is bara when we are talking about the word created. And this word is something that is only designated to God. This verb is only used with God. And what it means is it's, he has the ability to create from nothing. That simply through the volition of his will, his own volition and through his own will, he is able to create everything that is set before us. Verse 1 is breathtaking because it makes a grand claim that God was there alone, that God himself is who created the heavens and the earth. And this is important, and we're going to see why. It's important because it, it makes us realize that there was nobody else, that there was no cosmic battle, that there was no struggle, that there was no void, that there was no just material floating around, but God was there, and he's always been there. We go on to verse 2, which is almost quite as confusing and befuddling. It says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was ho hovering over the face of the waters. Now, the first two sentences, the earth was without form and void. I don't know what that would look like. And darkness was over the face of the deep. I still don't know what that means. What is the deep? If there is no time and space, what is going on there? But what's more startling to us is that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I thought God was a spirit. How can God, who is a spirit, have a spirit? This becomes interesting. God is not only God the Father, but we are introduced, as we will later find out, the Holy Spirit. So we have two entities, but they are one. It's quite confusing. For us, when we read the two, first two verses, we should say, what is going on? And if you don't read those two verses and say, this is quite confusing, then you're a better person than I am? I don't know. It should startle us, is what I'm trying to say. We should read the first two verses and be taken aback. And because what are the things that we learn? When we learn that God is the Alpha author, what we learn is that God is wholly different from us. Not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y. God is completely different from us. He is a different being altogether. He's a spirit who can have a spirit. I don't know what that means, but God, and we, will, we may never be able to comprehend what that means. And so what happens is we see, he, God sets the stage for us. We are different. God is different than mankind. God is different from creation. And from here, the boundary is set. There will always be what we call a creator-creature distinction. Now, I hammered this home to my youth group. The one important doctrine you need to know, besides that Jesus loves you, is that God is wholly different from us. And there are some things we will never be able to understand. And I mean never. Even in heaven, we may never understand how God does this, how the Trinity, how that happens. 
And it's important for us to remember because it will give us a good bar or a good guide in how we read Scripture. As I was preparing myself for seminary, I, I, I went up to all the older brothers and all the other people who went through seminary and said, what should I um, be ready for? At the time, I was single and said, should I start dating before seminary? Should I date in seminary? What should I do? Where should I live? And I had all these questions, and one of the brothers just responded. He said, Jeffrey, all you need to know is that you need to, all you need to know is the creator-creature distinction. I thought, what? Very impractical. But he was right. As you begin to study its uh, theology, you, you begin to see where all the heresies come from. And basically, where the heresies come from is when you violate the creator-creature distinction. Why most people fall away from God or why they begin to not believe in God anymore is because they don't understand God. God, if you're like this, I don't understand why you're like this. If I were God, I would do it differently. You tell me that I have to do it this way, that you have to send down Jesus as your only son? I wouldn't do it that way. God, why is there pain and suffering? I don't understand. Surely there is no God. All heresies form from our inability to understand God. And you know what? That tension will always be there. It's not to have a blind faith, but it's just to simply express to us that God is a completely different being than who we are. And there are limits to our understanding. God is wholly different from us. We can only know what he has revealed to us. And we can only understand him as he shows us. But there is another thing that we are to learn from these two verses. We learn that God is in absolute control. God was alone. God created everything. God did everything that we, we see and ex feel and experience today. There was no cosmic battle. If any of you have seen Wonder Woman, I'm not going to ruin it. But you would see in their myth that there was a cosmic battle for earth. That there was always this void, that there was this battle between good and evil. And that story has gone on for ages. That there was always this chaotic tension in the creation of the world. And if you read Roman and Greek um, mythology, you would find that all of earth was created from chaos. Everything was chaotic and then all of a sudden, by chance, love was formed. And from love, all these other gods were formed, and that's how humanity began, and we get to Zeus, and that's how the whole creation of the world became. Which, might, I might add, has always been the story of how the world was created. Therefore, the Christian story has always been controversial. It has always been controversial. Since the beginning of time, when we said God was alone and he created the whole entire earth, people are like, you are crazy. Obviously, there was chaos, and by chance, the world was formed, which I might add is not too different from the Big Bang Theory that we have today. Now, I want to give credence to the Big Bang Theory. It is science, and we are to believe it, and we should try our best to understand it. But it is nothing new, this challenge to the creation story, which is the Big Bang is that it was by chance, through chaos, that all these things formed together, and the earth was created. So this myth, quote-unquote myth, has always been with us. 
And what we find out, it's truly not a myth, but it's historical fact in which God is all in control and he dictates everything. So first, when we learn about God in these two verses, we find that he is the alpha author, the person who is in charge of everything, who is wholly different from us, but in whom we can seek refuge and trust in. As we go on to the next verse, verse 3, we come to the second point, and which is that God is a speaking spirit. In verse 3 it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Here what we find is God's superpower. God's superpower is that he speaks, and that there is wonder and an amazement when God speaks. When we go through chapter, when we go through days one through six, there is a general paradigm that will unfold. There will be an announcement. It will say, God said. Next, there will be a commandment. He'll say, let there be light. Then there will be a report. Light shows up. Then he will name certain things. He's going to call the light day. He's going to call the darkness night. And there is going to be an evaluation. He's going to say whether it's good or bad. And in chapter 1, it's all good. And this really sets the paradigm of the whole Bible. Because God, from here on forth, will use his amazing ability, his speaking ability, to always make an announcement and to bring forth an event. That is how the creation of Israel occurred. That is how the church occurs. That is how all big things in history occur. That God speaks something into existence and it happens. And so this also reveals to us the relationship between creation and God. Creation is submissive or is being, is submitted, is submissive to God's word. All of creation responds to the word of God of God. That is the paradigm for the whole world, for all of Scripture. When God speaks, all of creation will listen. And God highlights that His speaking, that His Word is to be praised and honored and admired. Anytime God makes fun of idols, which is a significant character or thing in the Bible, God makes fun of idols because they have no ability to speak. Here in Psalm 115.7, God says, they have hands, he's referring to idols, they have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who become, make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Habakkuk 2.18, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. And even the Apostle Paul picks this up and then says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. 
So in this first chapter, we are made aware that the power of God comes from his speech. And this is especially important for us today. The power of Christianity, the power of all Christians comes from God's word, his declarative word. When I stand before you or when Pastor David stands before you and declares that your sins are forgiven, something happens. When God says you are loved, that is true and creation responds. There is comfort in the declarative words of God. As Christians, sometimes we forget that we want signs. We want something else. We don't want the declared word. God, if you're real, I want to see money in my bank account. God, if you're real, answer this prayer. God, if you're real, let me see the scars in your hands. But here in chapter 1 says, do not look for things to see. Listen, people of God. Hear the declared word of God. And that is one thing we need to get out of chapter 1. That there is power in God's word. And that when he speaks, things change. That's why there's power in prayer. That's why there's power when we come here. There, there is power when we sing together. There's power in the declarative word of God. And if you think about it, that is how people, how Christians come from death to life. By hearing the words of God. By hearing the words of Jesus. Do people come to life? But as we also see, when God speaks, God always speaks with a purpose. And we come to my third point, that God is not someone who just rambles, but he has a purpose. He is a purposed person. God just does not speak because he's bored or wants to make a joke. God does not say, well, you know, I had breakfast this morning. I don't know what I'm saying, but thanks for listening. God doesn't say that. Anytime he speaks, there is an intentionality, there is a point for his speech. And as we see when God says, let there be light, let there be darkness, let there be night and day, there is a purpose and function for everything in which all of creation goes towards a certain particular thing. And what is that purpose? Why is God creating the whole world? Why is God giving the... the the, the vegetation, greenery, why is God separating um, the land and the sky? Why is God creating the waters? Well, we see the whole purpose of all of this in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Within those three verses, the seventh day comes up very often because the author is trying to highlight the seventh day is very important in the work of creation. And what is the purpose of all of creation? It is, it is to enter into God's rest. 
the purpose of all our lives, and not just our lives, but all of creation, is to enter into the rest of God. And we need to sit and remember that. The purpose of our lives is not to get that promotion. The purpose of our lives is not to raise our children or to get married or, or, or to do certain great feats. Those are all good things, but the purpose of all of our lives and all of creation is that we may in, enter into God's rest and give him all the glory. In chapter 3, we know that sin will enter into the picture. And we, all of creation, will take a detour. We will not enter into that rest just yet. But surely we will eventually enter. And the Apostle Paul knew this and knew that the whole point of all of our lives was to enter into this rest. He writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, Paul understood in the New Testament. He understood what Genesis 1 was all about. It was about entering into God's rest. So the question should naturally arise, how do we enter God's rest? It's going to be through his word. And the greatest word that God has ever spoken is his son, Jesus Christ. If you look in chapter 1, the Trinity is there. We see God the Father, we see God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ is absolutely there. Now, if you're hearing this for the first time, you'll look at chapter 1 and you'll see that there is no indication of Jesus Christ whatsoever. There's no mention of a third person. There's no mention of a person at all. But we understand that Jesus is the Word and that it is through Jesus that all of creation was formed. Listen to this, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Colossians 1, 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Christ is God's speech. Why we come here every Sunday is not to hear my voice, but it's to hear Jesus Christ. The whole point of our existence and our being is so that we commune with God, and the only way we enter into that rest is through Jesus. 
by believing in Him and by believing in what He has done for us. So as we take a step back, Genesis 1 is wonderful. It's actually the Cliff Notes version of the whole Bible. We read it and what we realize is is that it is wonderful. God's plan all along from the inception of time was to make all of creation enter into his rest. As the Alpha author, he designed everything so that people would come into his rest. And people were always going to come into his rest through the speaking of God. And God was always going to speak about his son Jesus. That is why we have our faith in him. Because that is how we find our purpose in life and in this world. That is how we find the rest that we all desire to experience. But don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. For we know in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who gives us rest. Lord, we thank you for Genesis chapter 1. We thank you that you push us to see outside of ourselves. God, we will never understand your mercy, your love. Lord, we will never understand you, but we thank you for that. Because you are majestic and breathtaking. And you are truly worthy to be worshipped and praised. We thank you, O God. May we, the people of ACC, always come and bow our knees and fear the Lord. But let us also know that through your son, Jesus Christ, whom you love and who loves us, that we will always have that eternal rest and that our future is secure and that we could trust in you. We thank you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.